You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Yeah, the new gender order speaks to a kind of queered manhood and queered womanhood, and really it all kind of blends down into one androgynous gender smoothie. The majority of women who are post-abortive say that they would have kept their child had they had the emotional and financial resources to do so. So we need to speak to her and we need to support her. It's really become a cacophony of bizarreness within evangelicalism in the NAR as they try to out-Jewish each other in kind of resurrecting and trying to smuggle in to Christianity practices that are Jewish. See, the Creator has established an order, and it's our job to honor it. So the pastor stands in the stead of the head. The head is male. This is not because we're anti-woman. It's because we're pro-Christ. Farmers in South Dakota listen to issues, etc., while combining our corn and feeding the world. By themselves, the headlines are a little alarming, but when you pair them together, they become positively alarming. From Newsweek, Russians trying to recruit spies from U.S. churches, and from National Public Radio, Orthodox Christians are drawing in far-right American converts. What is going on here? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Tuesday afternoon, October the 10th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly joins us to talk about media coverage of efforts by Russian spies to recruit members of Eastern Orthodox churches in the U.S. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson with Pastor Tom Baker on Solomon building the temple, then in chapter 11, falling away from the faith. And we'll begin a series on the Lord's Prayer with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, author of a new catechetical resource called Lord Teach Us to Pray. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Is it true that representatives of the U.S. government have been contacting Orthodox priests about potential spies in their congregations? I have been told by priests I know more than one, count them on two hands, true, but I've talked to priests who say that, yes, they've been contacted by government officials, and a couple of specifically mentioned the FBI, in which they said that people are contacting them saying the U.S. government is worried that Russian activists may be attempting to recruit spies in churches in America, and they seem to be implying primarily in churches that are recruiting lots of conservative American converts. This is really interesting, and one of the first things our listeners need to understand, for example, I guess I could be a spy. I'm an American. I'm a convert to Eastern Orthodoxy. I support the doctrines of my church, and I go to a church with some historic ties to the old Soviet Union, even, during the the troubled decades of the 20th century, 
but it's really hard to to explain to people that may for example there are people in my congregation from Romania and Belarus and there are people with Russian ties and we have a lot of Russian speakers in our congregation and I would be hard-pressed to sum up their point of view other than to say almost universally radically opposed to the government of Vladimir Putin and also simultaneously very critical of a lot of American government policies related to Europe, to Eastern Europe, and specifically to Ukraine, leading up to what they would view as the illegal, sinful, barbaric, and some would even say demonic invasion of Ukraine by the current Russian government. Now, that was a lot of complex stuff there. But I don't think you can read these stories about whether or not it would be fruitful for Russian spies to attempt to recruit helpmates out of Orthodox congregations in America without understanding the incredible complexity of Orthodoxy in America, both ethnically and historically. And yes, it was the Russians 300 years ago, centuries ago, who brought orthodoxy to America through Alaska, coming across from Russia, through Alaska and down into the rest of America. And a little bit of orthodox history, a very important person in all of this, is St. Tikhon of Moscow, who was the missionary bishop who worked in the United States in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And St. Tikhon viewed orthodoxy in America as something that shouldn't be defined by ethnicity. He wanted to find the development of a truly American Orthodox Church. He worked with Greeks. He worked with Palestinians, Syrians, Lebanese, as we would say, the Antiochian Orthodox Church, as in the Book of Acts. And in Antioch, they were first called Christians, those folks. That church still exists. But then Tikhon was called home to Moscow, where he was martyred by the Bolsheviks. And when he did, American Orthodoxy fell back into its ethnic enclaves. And the most important thing that's happened statistically in American Orthodoxy since that time occurred about 40 years ago, which was the infusion of the Antiochian church, the Syrian Lebanese church, by a wave of evangelical converts, uh, including, I must admit, my own spiritual father, the late Father Gordon Walker. And into there, you have all of these evangelicals and conservative Protestants. And over the years, you've had Episcopalians join Orthodoxy and Lutherans join Orthodoxy and all kinds of people finding their way into Orthodoxy. It would be very hard to sum these people up with one or two broad sweeping generalizations, which seems to be happening here. And I've prepared kind of some questions to ask, kind of like you might be a Soviet spy if, if you could think of that, if you can laugh at that. But I, I think the most important thing for listeners who have followed our podcast about Ukraine, I think what's really going on here is are you 
potentially a Russian spy if you question any of the U.S. government policies toward Ukraine over the last decade or so? And are you potentially a Ukrainian spy if you support the canonical Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which for decades, centuries, had ties to Moscow, but after the invasion has done everything it can under Orthodox law to cut its ties to Moscow or to weaken them and to declare its loyalty to the Ukrainian state. Yet these are also the Orthodox churches that are now being seized, locked up, in some cases attacked, and we currently have a standoff in the most important monastery in all of Slavic Christianity, the Kevian Lavra, which is a thousand years old. I've been to it twice. So this is all really complex, but then you get a headline in Newsweek, Russia's trying to recruit spies from U.S. Orthodox churches report. And the report is coming from the journal Foreign Affairs, and that the heart of the U.S. foreign policy establishment, and yet some of the things quoted make very common mistakes about describing orthodoxy, how orthodoxy is organized. There's major errors of fact about how many orthodox there are in America. And then you put this next to a religion news service report recently, which went to a small gathering of orthodox converts, and the headline, Riding a wave of converts, one group aims to fuse orthodoxy with Southern values. And you find there are a couple of very accurate paragraphs in this story describing kind of parts of the convert era in America. But once again, you really get this impression that the orthodox converts, it notes, for example, that some of them are traditionalists who are in favor of monarchies and don't even believe in democracy. I don't think I've ever met anyone who fits that description. And then again, I wasn't invited to this small meeting of Southern Orthodox, yet I live among Southern Orthodox. And frankly, I don't represent a lot of what's the story. And I don't even recognize um, a lot in the story. And the, the article does mention, oh, oh yeah, by the way, these people do oppose the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I know this sounds really simplistic now to sum up all that craziness by saying Orthodox people tend to be very morally and doctrinally conservative. In context of modern America, that puts them in a direct collision on issues with the sexual revolution, with abortion, transgenderism, and a host of other things. But does that make them potential Russian spies? That's where I think these stories are just way too simplistic. Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're talking about media coverage of efforts by Russian spies to recruit members of Eastern Orthodox churches in the U.S. When we come back, after 9-11, there was criticism of government officials monitoring the activities of U.S. mosques. Are we seeing the same level of criticism opposed to the monitoring of Eastern Orthodox churches?
You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. This fall in creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press. Saving Western Civilization, One Student at a Time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Terry Mattingly is our guest. We're discussing media coverage of efforts by Russian spies to recruit members of Eastern Orthodox churches in the U.S., Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, after 9-11, there was considerable criticism when the government officials started mon- in the, here in the U.S. started monitoring activities in U.S. mosques. Are you seeing the same level of criticism opposed to the monitoring of Eastern Orthodox churches? Let me describe it this way. Would you say that most of the concern about, and by the way, I would agree that I think, I've read stories and things about what I think were highly questionable efforts to infiltrate mosques on a universal basis. At the same time, my view about the dangers in the world of spying is that it's very hard to write about these things in accurate ways because the very people who most want to talk to you may not be the people who actually know the most information. By definition, these things are dark, murky, and complex. But I would say that the elite media, primarily Washington up to New York, et cetera, was got very, very concerned about uh, Islamophobia and the violation of religious liberty rights of people in a lot of mosques. And I have talked to Muslims about that. And frankly, I agree with a lot of what they say about how they were infiltrated. But let me have listeners think about this. If most of the concern about Islamophobia came out of, let's say, New York City and Washington, to be specific, 
we should also notice that most of the concern about dangerous converts to orthodoxy and dangerous trends in orthodoxy are primarily coming out of Washington, D.C., New York, and among some sections of orthodoxy that tend to be more doctrinally and culturally liberal. In the Newsweek article, for example, every article about orthodoxy and religion has to have an expert from New York. I think it's now a law. And in there, they quote a scholar of orthodoxy in the U.S., an author of Between Heaven and Russia. And she's the primary voice at the end that says, oh, yes, I'm hearing about these converts there and people are really worried, etc." What's interested about this is if you look this particular scholar up, she's a specialist in women's gender and sexuality studies programs. And most of her research focuses on conservative politics, race, media, ex-evangelicals, and Orthodox Christianity. Now, I would like to know more about how much these scholars that are getting quoted actually know about the convert era, because there's way more to the convert era than the small Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia, which they're all talking about in these articles almost exclusively, which is a, a growing body in the United States, but nowhere near as important as the Orthodox Church in America or the Antiochian Archdiocese in North America. And there are convert-friendly Greek churches as well. So if you focus on a small number of churches in a small denomination, and suddenly you make what's happening among a small number of their members the focus of something worthy of FBI investigation, that feels really strange to people in ordinary Orthodox churches. But then all of a sudden, you're, the FBI or some other government leader is knocking on the door of your church and saying, have you had any really strange people join lately? And we've had lots and lots of converts in recent years at the church I go to here in the heart of Southern Appalachia. And I went to an Orthodox meeting for the Diocese of the South in which I talked to many priests. And yes, we're seeing lots of converts. And yes, lots of them are young males. And yes, a few of them get very excited about Orthodoxy and kind of veer into what we call orthobro territory. An orthobro is someone who's read three books by the early church fathers and now thinks he knows more than his priest does about the faith. Those people do exist, but they're not what's going on in American orthodoxy right now, and they're not at the heart of the trend of orthodox converts. And so thus it really is strange to suddenly find out that the U.S. government is really intrigued with whether converts could be a breeding ground for Russian spies. That seems to be a bit of a leap. But once again, are there a couple of wild people out there? I don't know. In the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the canonical Orthodox Church with years of ties to Moscow, are there priests, maybe a bishop or two, who are still loyal to the current Russian government? I would be surprised in the middle of a civil war if there weren't one or two dozen of those people, but there are thousands 
of other priests, which are now seeing their churches attacked, locked up, etc. These are dangerous times, and in dangerous times, a little bit of misinformation goes a long way when it comes to stereotyping people. Okay, uh, two things. The National Public Radio headline, Orthodox Christian churches are drawing in far-right American converts. Right, yeah. That term far-right, is there a AP-style paragraph <laughs> on that? No, but there should be. But see, once again, I would sh- guarantee you that a lot of these converts are going to be considered ultra-conservative by someone who's a specialist in gender, sexuality, women's studies, ex-evangelicals, etc. Yeah, if these people to folks in New York City are going to seem extremely Southern and extremely conservative and very dangerous. So I wrote out a few things. Are converts to orthodoxy dangerous? Yes, say a few academics and politicos, and a lot of them are in places like New York City and Washington, where you're going to have a lot of kind of the old ethnic, specifically Greek, pro-ecumenical patriarch, pro-Istanbul people there. And these are the folks who are now clashing with Russia, the canonical Orthodox in Ukraine, and with lots of other Orthodox people in the world. Are converts dangerous? Yes, a few of these converts are wild people. How many are them? It's hard to establish. Are these people typical of the converts from the last 40 years or so? No way. Is the Deep South typical of what's happening in Orthodoxy as a rule? No. In fact, the churches growing the most in the Sun Belt, once again, I would stress, are these other churches, the Orthodox Church in America and the Antiochian Orthodox. Should the FBI suspect Orthodox churches for harboring spies if these churches are opposing Putin, praying for peace and a ceasefire, supporting peace talks, while at the same time questioning some U.S. policies in this region of the world over the last decade. Now, all of those things I just said, you're opposed to Putin, you're opposed to the invasion, you're praying for a ceasefire and peace talks, but you do question some U.S. policies in this part of the world over the last decade. I have said that exact combination of factors in my own beliefs and have had people call me pro-Putin simply because I'm in favor of negotiations for peace and some kind of settlement that stops the slaughter on both sides in Ukraine. I also would fit the danger zone thing of being critical of the European Union. I'm critical of some policies of the current White House. I'm a total opponent of Trump, but all of these stories mentioned that, hey, a lot of these converts voted for Trump and they're pro-Trump. Does that make them dangerous? Does that make them potential spies? This I could go on and on with this list, but I, I want people who read articles about American converts to orthodoxy and how this might relate to Russia and Ukraine. Read the article and look for one thing. Do the authors of this article realize the convert era has been going on for 40 years and that the primary churches involved in it are not the Russian Orthodox Church out of Russia. Important smaller church, and it is growing. 
But look for the word Antiochian, and remember the New Testament, and in Antioch they were first called Christians. Look for Antiochian, and look for references to the leaders of the Orthodox Church in America, which is the largest body with ties to Russia. My own church is a member of the Orthodox Church in America. See if the authors and the editors of these stories know anything about the breadth of convert and American orthodoxy over the last 40 years. Are they really talking about narrowly defining a small, small groups of people during this era of after the Ukrainian invasion, and specifically, frankly, looking for signs of Donald Trump? With about uh, three minutes here, yeah. how would you summarize the statement from the Assembly of Canonical Orthodox Bishops in the United States responding to a similar article in Foreign Affairs? Well, the Foreign Affairs article is the one that led to the one in Newsweek. And I am sure that they know a lot more about some of the personalities involved. I find it interesting the Foreign Affairs article mentions a Russian church official who was suspected of being a spy. And yet when you look at the timing of this, I don't know who that person is, but it's right about the time that the Putin government actually pushed out one of their leaders who fits some of this timing. And the Orthodox suspect this man was pushed out because he opposed the Ukrainian invasion. But he fits many of the descriptions in this Newsweek article and in the article that you were talking about condemned by the Association of Canonical Bishops. The Foreign Affairs Magazine, which is a part of the Council on Foreign Relations, and the article was called Putin's Useful Priests, the Orthodox Church and the Kremlin's Hidden Influence Campaign in the West. Now, Putin's influence in the Russian Orthodox Church is horrible to many of us. We oppose it, and we fear that there will literally be people eventually martyred for their opposition to Putin in Russia, in the church. But this Kremlin's hidden influence campaign in the West is where things begin to get really dicey, and you really wonder if these people know what they're talking about. This is where I would love to see a couple of these bishops sit down with editors of Foreign Affairs Magazine and Newsweek and just get to do a little bit of fact-checking about whether these journalists actually understand basic facts about the organization of orthodoxy and trends in the Orthodox churches, there are several, in the United States. To me, I see signs of people that just don't know a lot of the basic facts. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. When we come back, we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Solomon building the temple. Then in 1 Kings 11, falling away from the faith, Pastor Tom Baker will be our guest.
Join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 18th through Saturday, January 20th for the 2024 Why for Life Free Conference. Registration is open through December 15th. Learn more at why4life.org. Great events, speakers, and social time. The 2024 Why for Life Free Conference, January 18th through the 20th in Washington, D.C., Y4life.org. Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today, is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. Essential Exercise for the Christian Mind. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. The weather is changing, the leaves are falling, and you'll soon be setting up your church's Christmon tree this Advent. But there's a problem. Remember, Aunt Mabel's Christmons are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Rush on over to Ad Crucem to fix the situation. We offer all the old designs and a whole lot of new ones. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com.